There's a lot of exciting stuff happening around the church um, in more ways than one. This week, of course, we had the water leak, which for some hours was dumping over 13 gallons of water a minute into our facility. Our chapel was completely flooded, and that uh, being on the third floor dripped down through this layer and the Kid Connection area as well. So a third, 25% to 30% of our church has been filled with water, and we've had a phenomenal facilities team. I'm so thankful for them. Joe and Jordan and Dale and Racima and Sato. Yeah, give them a hand. They do an awesome job, and they were all over it. By the time I found out, we already had the people here fixing the problem and taking care of it. And uh, by the time I walked over to the building, the plumber was already here taking care of things. Servpro was here taking care of things. It will be two, three, four weeks before everything is dealt with. But we just thank God that it was figured out when it was. And on our punch card of disasters, we now have fire and water. So pray against earth and wind. Those are the last two, and we just don't want to even deal with that, at least for a very long time. But we're super thankful that we can be here in this building and and gather together and and encourage each other. We've got a lot of exciting stuff planned for 2024. We'll tell you more about that at the annual meeting in a couple of weeks. But you know, this last year, our theme was back together. And it was so exciting this last week to learn that last year, compared to 2022, our in-person attendance went up by 16%. And that is wonderful. So we're glad you're here. Those of you that are new to the church or have started coming back in person, we're so glad you're here. We hope to see that continue into 2024 as well. But we also have a new theme that we'll share in a couple of weeks and some new things we're going to invite you to be a part of. So make sure, especially if you're a member, that you're here for that. And then the week after the annual meeting, so in three weeks, we'll introduce the theme to the whole church on a Sunday as well. Well, before we get started today, I figured I'd give you a chance to just stretch a little bit and get to know each other a little bit. And I hope you're enjoying the beautiful weather that we have outside. How many of you can't wait till spring? Anybody? Like, I'm already done with winter? Okay. What I want you to do is share with each other what your ideal weather is, okay? So just hop up for a minute, get to know each other, and share what your ideal weather is. We'll get started in just a minute. Well, I grew up in Michigan, so I'm kind of used to this cold weather. I'm used to the snow, but then I spent some time in Florida, and it just spoiled me, and I got used to the warm weather, and and now I'm ready for this to be over. We've had enough cold. We've had enough snow. I'm ready for spring to come, but that's all right. We'll get through it together. We're going to continue now 
in our Acts series. And last week, Kyle Howard did an amazing job, and I'm not just saying that because he's here in the front row, but he did an amazing job walking us through chapter 20 of the book of Acts. And Acts 20 is one of those chapters where it tells a whole complete story, but then you can zoom in on parts and build on that uh, by by just looking at different areas a little bit closer. You you need more than one week to really explore the whole thing. And so we're going to go back to Acts 20 today and take a chunk of scripture in the middle of that chapter, and we're going to dive deeper on it. And what it's actually going to do is build on what Kyle talked about last week, about the mission of God that we're invited to be a part of, and then the, the natural follow-up question to that is, okay, how do I go live out that mission? How do I be a part of that mission? And and some of that was covered last week, and we're going to even zoom in on that more this week with some verses where Paul describes how he lived out the mission of God in his life, and we can follow him and follow his example. A lot of times I like to start off with a story or an illustration and then dive in, but today we're just going to dive right in. So if you've got your Bible, open it to Acts chapter 20. We're going to start in verse 17, go all the way down through verse 24, and we're going to just work through it verse by verse together and see how did Paul live and what can we learn from that. Verse 17 of Acts 20 says this, but when we landed at Miletus, now just for context, this is Luke writing this down. When we landed at Miletus, he, that's Paul, sent a message to the elders of the church at Ephesus asking them to come and meet him. Now we'll learn later that Paul, and you may remember this from last week, knew this would be the last time he was going to talk with these elders. And these are people that he loves. He spent the last three years with them. He spent three years in Ephesus with them. That was the longest he stayed in any place. So he, he really has a, an affection for them. And it seems to be a big deal that he knows this is the last time he'll talk with them. And you might wonder, what would you say to a close friend, a close partner in ministry, someone that you've worked with closely and you, you treasure? And if you know you'll never see them again, What are the last words you will say to them? That's what we're gonna get in the next few verses. So listen up, because it's a big deal. But before I get into that, I wanna share, just as a sidebar, something neat that this speech from Paul to these elders does for us and gives us, because it actually helps us to verify the authenticity and accuracy of the book of Acts. Some people have suggested that Acts cannot be authentic in its recording of events and in particular its recording of the words of Paul because the words of Paul in Acts do not match the style of the words of Paul in the epistles. And so if Paul wrote the epistles that, that he is attributed to writing to Corinth and Rome and Colossae and Titus and Timothy, those people and places, and that style does not match the way he speaks in Acts, then maybe it's because Acts was just constructed later and these words were attributed to Paul, but they don't actually reflect Paul. And the speech we're about to get is unique because it is actually the only place in scripture where we have a speech that is written down that Paul gave, but it's to believers and not non-believers. And what's so great about that is that the speech we're about to read matches the style of Paul's writing in the epistles. So if, you, if you're tracking with me, what that means is there isn't an inconsistency here where the Paul of Acts is different than the Paul of the epistles. What this shows us is that he had a different way of talking to believers and non-believers because all of the other speeches and acts from Paul are to non-believers and he speaks a certain way that is a little bit different than how he writes in his epistles. But here in this speech recorded in Acts, we see a very similar style to his epistles. It's just one more of many reasons why we know we can trust the book of Acts and we can trust the Bible. But that's really a sidebar to get us into the speech itself. And so here is what he says in verse 18. Read along with me. When they arrived, he declared, 
you know that from the day I set foot in the province of Asia until now, I have done the Lord's work humbly and with many tears. I have endured the trials that came to me from the plots of the Jews. Packed into that little verse, verse 19, is a tremendous amount of information, actually, about how Paul lived out his mission. And I want to point out four powerful concepts that you can take and apply in your life to live out God's mission as well, just like Paul did. In fact, literally, the Greek here reads from Paul, you know how I lived among you. That's what he's trying to explain to them. You've seen my example. You've seen my life, how I lived out this mission of God. I want you to remember that. We know he's not going to see them again. They know they're not going to see him again. This is the last stuff he's going to share with them. What does he think is so important? Look at the example of my life. Look at how I lived. And then he gives us four things that we're going to walk through together. If you're a note-taking person, this would be the time to write these down. Those four things are service, humility, tears, and trials. Service, humility, tears, and trials. We talk about the word service. The NLT uses the word work. I have done the Lord's work. But that word for work literally means slave or like a bond servant. It's a little different than how we think of slave, but the idea is I am serving someone else. I'm serving someone other than myself. And in this case, he's serving the Lord. Now, the elders could listen to that and think, well, we saw you serve us, and that would be true. But Paul knew that when he was serving other people, he was doing it because he was really serving the Lord. That was the motivation behind why he was serving. And so Paul served like a, like a slave of God. He served other people, but he was really serving the Lord. How many of you have ever been to a restaurant and had really bad service? Has anyone, raise your hand if you've been to a restaurant and you've been kind of annoyed because the service was bad. That's probably most of us. You know, it took forever for them to finally come out and take your order. And when they did, you ask them a question about what's on the menu. And it seems like they don't really know even what's like what, what their food is. Or you ask them, hey, is the, is the salmon fresh? And the server goes, uh, yeah, 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 it's fresh, sure. You know, that's, that doesn't inspire a lot of confidence in you. And they bring you your food and you, I had this happen this week. You pull a big, long hair out of the meal. Yeah, got you with that one. That's a true story from this week. Sometimes these illustrations just write themselves. And they never come back and check on your drinks. You ordered something spicy and you get one cup of water and that's it. And you never get another cup of water the rest of the time. And this whole while, as, as you're wrapping up and you're ready to get the check and you're thinking to yourself, at least if you're me, how much am I gonna tip, right? Because tips are supposed to be an incentive for good service, right? You, you want to tip well if you were served well, and if you weren't served well, then maybe you tip a little less, or maybe you're super nice and gracious and you tip 20% no matter what. I don't know, okay? Now, I have problems with the whole tipping model in general, but that's for another day. Tips are supposed to be, agree with you on that, tips are supposed to be an incentive for good service. And so you're thinking to yourself after this horrible service, what am I going to tip? Is it going to be 15%? Is it going to be 10%? Is it going to be 5%? I know someone who, if they have bad service, they tip a penny because they want them to know they didn't forget. They just got really bad service. I'm not advocating that. I'm just saying I know of people who do that. But you're thinking to yourself, how much am I going to tip? And then you get the bill and you look at the bottom and it says, Group gratuity, 18% automatically added, right? Isn't that a rough feeling? You're like, oh, I even lost my opportunity. And what, what are you going to do? Be like, I disagree with this 18%. It's like, no, it's there. 
What happened in that case? Well, in some cases, the server knew that this was a table of 10 or whatever their group is, eight, whatever the limit is. And so they don't have to worry about good service and they're not really serving you, they're serving themselves. They're doing just enough to not get fired. They're hanging out with the other servers in the back. They're chatting about it. They're not coming out and checking on you. They're not coming out and giving you good service because they're not really serving you, they're serving themselves. And honestly, the same thing can happen as we serve God sometimes. And oftentimes it starts with good intentions and good motives. And we start serving with good reasons. And over time, what can happen is the same thing that can happen to that server in the restaurant where we just don't care anymore. And we stop serving for the right reasons. We stop serving the right people. And we start serving ourselves. And what Paul is saying is, I'm not even serving you, Ephesians. I was serving the Lord. All the service I did with you, it wasn't for you. It was actually for God and not for you. And that made a difference in how Paul served. A week ago, Saturday, we had dozens of people out here in our activity center right over there packaging over 2,000 bags of meals that will feed over 14,000 people. And it was so fun to be there with all these people and a lot of families and kids were helping out because it's the type of thing you can do together as a family. And, and I was scooping rice and veggies and different things like that and helping to bag these together. And I'm across from a, a, a young girl who keeps saying, this is so neat, this is so neat what we're doing. And, oh, it's so great to be here helping people and make sure that they have food. And she was serving, not for herself, but she really caught the vision of this is gonna help other people. And this is something God wants us to do. And those of you that were there for that, thank you for coming out and being a part of that. We had an opportunity together to serve not just other people, but to serve the Lord in what we were doing. And you know, whatever you do, if you do it with the right heart and the right motivation, you can view it as serving the Lord. Paul said in, first, or in Colossians 3, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and the master you are serving is Christ. Whatever you are doing, you can view it as serving the Lord. Even in my job, yeah, because God gave you the ability to do that. In fact, God designed us with a need to work and produce and be productive in different ways. And so by, by following that God-given ability, desire, giftings, whatever he has given you the ability to do, provide for you, provide for your family, whatever that is, by doing that, that's an act of worship, acknowledging this is the way God made me, this is the way God designed me, I'm not just gonna sit around and do nothing, I'm gonna be productive. And I don't care if you're digging ditches or cleaning septic tanks or, or, or picking up trash or whatever the job is, all of that can be done as an act of worship to God if it's done with the right heart and the right motivation. Especially if you think about doing something that maybe is less desirable or you don't even enjoy doing and other people see you doing that and you're always joyful and in a good mood even as you're doing something that maybe is not as desirable to do and people ask you, how can you be so content and happy when you're doing this? I would complain all the time and you have the opportunity to say, well, it's because of everything God's done for me, I don't really have a right to complain and I'm just thankful for the opportunity to do this. Now, maybe it's not what I wanna do in a year or long term, maybe it's not something I very much enjoy but it can still be done with a worshipful heart. Paul says, whatever you do, Work at it as unto the Lord and not to people. And you know that's true with church service too, how you serve in the church. You know, there are a lot of people here, I'm aware, who serve in an area not because that's where they're gifted or not because that's what they enjoy, but because they saw a need. And they just stepped in and said, I am going to help meet that need. 
And so I don't care whether you're changing diapers or picking up trash or cleaning or whatever it is that you are doing. Maybe you don't love doing that thing, but thank you for doing that. And as long as you are changing diapers unto the Lord, that can be an act of worship. I know that's weird, but it can be an act of worship. Hey, it needs to be done. As long as you're picking up trash is under the Lord, as long as you're taking care of things, as long as you're serving people is under the Lord. Maybe it's not what I love doing the most in all the world. But all of that can be an act of worship if done for the Lord. And so Paul did the Lord's work. He served as under the Lord, not just to people. And you can do that too. The second thing Paul says is that he served with humility. He served with humility. Have you ever tempted to be proud of your service? You know, I, I have. Or you serve in an area for a long time and you start to be like, ooh, I'm doing pretty good here. I've served for a long time. I deserve, I've seen this as a pastor many times where people will start out with great motivations and desires and over time they serve in a certain area and they start to become really proud of that service sometimes. It's something we have to watch out for. We can have this heart of entitlement in our service and that Paul wants to be clear here. I didn't serve for your acknowledgement. I didn't serve for my ego. I served humbly. I serve the Lord with humility. Bible says in 1 Samuel 16, the Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. What matters is what's in the heart, not just what's on the outside. There are people who serve in all sorts of ways and have wonderful heart motivations, but there are also people who serve in a lot of different ways and maybe even go overboard sometimes. And it's all about looking good to other people. And it's all about this kind of pride and ego and making sure that they, they serve in a way that people can see them serve. Well, that's not done with the right heart motivation. Before being here, I served in another church for about 10 years. And over those 10 years, there were times where we identified certain ministry activities that no longer had their effectiveness anymore. You know, church looks different than it did 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, they didn't have the same technology. They didn't have the same culture. They didn't have a lot of the things that we have today. It just changes over time. And so over time, we identify that certain ministry methods, even if the message doesn't really change, the methods do need to change over time because they're not as effective as they used to be. And there is, a, there is an opportunity cost to everything we invest our time, talent, and treasure in that if that's no longer effective, then maybe we need to switch and invest that in something else. Uh, we don't actually have a need for anyone to print transparencies here. Because we don't use an overhead projector system where you put a transparency on. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? How many of you? Okay, good. All right, all right. I tell you what, in the early service, 100% of the hands went up. So they all knew. You guys, some of you may need to explain to those around you what a transparency is. We don't have a ministry for that anymore. We don't need, in fact, when I got here, we found a bunch of transparency overhead projectors. We're like, we don't need them anymore. Those things can change over time. The methods can change. But at this last church I was at, over, at different times, we identified ministries that no longer had their effectiveness. And there were times where we said, you know what? We're investing resources here that could be better used elsewhere. And we saw two different responses to that. We saw some people say, you know, this is a bummer because I've enjoyed doing that, but I get it. We do need to adapt and change. And we saw some people that said, over my dead body, this is how I serve God. You're gonna take that away from me? And then you have to question that kind of response and say, are you serving God or are you serving yourself? And sometimes we get that way about service. The way I serve, the, the things I do in service, we can get to the point where we feel like this is, this is very important to me. My identity is wrapped up in this. My purpose is wrapped up in this. And when that get, gets threatened to change or, or be different, sometimes that can cause us to be able to have self-reflection and realize maybe this is an idol for me. 
Because if I'm, if I'm all in this for me, then when my preferences get threatened, it makes me very upset. But if I'm actually serving the Lord, then I'm willing to be flexible with whatever needs to be happened to be most effective to accomplish the why. What are we really about here? What's the mission? What are we trying to do? Am I serving for me or am I serving for the Lord? If I'm doing this for me, then I'm upset when things don't go as planned. But if I'm doing this for the Lord, when something changes, I don't get upset about it, but instead I recognize, okay, this is an opportunity to be flexible and it's an opportunity to have faith and trust God. Okay, this didn't work out the way I wanted it to. I can either be upset about that or I can trust in God to work it out and maybe do something better that I couldn't have even imagined. And so we need to serve with humility. And Paul served with humility and you can too. The third thing Paul mentioned is is a, a difficult one for me because Paul says that he served through tears. He served through tears. I am not naturally a crier, okay? I just just not something I enjoy to do. I don't sit down with a box of tissues in front of a Hallmark movie and go, all right, I'm ready for a good time. That's not me. And maybe that's you. Uh, I'm curious, how many of you would say with me, I'm just not much of a crier. That's just not who I am. I don't, I don't, I don't cry a lot. That, that's okay. That's all. I had a professor in college who used to say, if your prayers aren't working, try tears. And I thought, am I trying to manipulate God here? Like, God, I really would love a new car. Lord, I really want a new car. Like, is that what's going to tip the scale to finally get me what I want? To try tears. You never know it might work. Now, that's not what he meant. What he meant was there are things that we care about and are passionate about that I think this is probably more true for men than for women, but certainly for both in some ways. That sometimes we can bottle up our emotion and feel like there's something good about being stoic and about not crying, about keeping it inside. It makes us feel vulnerable. It makes us feel uncomfortable to be emotional. And Paul says, hey, sometimes in my service with you, I was serving through tears. You saw me cry in front of you. You know, that's been true here sometimes too, where, I mean, sometimes in the services, I'll get really emotional about something and I don't feel a need to hide that. I don't feel like I need to, to pull it together and make sure that I don't cry at all. I don't enjoy it. I don't like it at all, but I don't feel like I need to bottle it up. And, and I think we need to be willing as we serve with other people to recognize that sometimes life is tough and it's messy and there's difficult situations. There's marriages that are struggling and there's children that are making ungodly decisions and there's illnesses that are being diagnosed or we're trying to figure out a diagnosis and it hits us hard and it's emotional and we don't have to feel like, oh, we need to pull it all together and not have emotion about this. It doesn't mean we manufacture it. Insincere tears are no good at all, but when there's real passion and emotion there, don't feel like you have to hold it And Sometimes crying together is the most loving and wonderful thing we can do with each other. And some of us have done that. I've done that with some of you where we've been in my office together crying about a situation that's going on in your life. Paul was no pansy, by the way. This is a guy that endured shipwrecks and assault and abuse and assassination attempts on his life. And of the four things he said about how he lived, one of those four was tears. I served with humility and with tears. So don't be afraid to cry like Paul did. Don't manufacture it, but when it's appropriate, don't be afraid to use tears. Paul said in Romans 12, be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. We need to be willing to go there, willing to have that kind of empathy for people. Weep with those who weep. He served with tears and and you can too. Here's the fourth one. Paul says that he endured trials. 
Now, trials can look very different to different people. We have to acknowledge that. But I do think it's safe to say that when the barista at Starbucks gets your order wrong, that's not a trial. That's a minor inconvenience. When somebody pulls into that parking spot before you and you had your blinker on, that's not a trial. That's just a minor inconvenience. Although I will say there were a couple of times this week where I got a parking spot right in front and I went, thank you, Lord. Just blessings from above, you know? But there are certain things in our life that are real legitimate trials and real struggles for us. And Paul dealt with that too. He had some serious trials in his life. I I just mentioned the shipwrecks and the abuse and the beatings and imprisonment that he had, not to mention the struggles he had with other church leaders like Barnabas and John Mark and, and, and other people who claimed to be Christian, but Christians, but made false accusations against him. Paul dealt with a a tremendous amount of trials in his ministry and in his life. And he says, hey, that's a a part of my living out this mission of God. I served and I served humbly and I served through tears and through trials, difficulties in my life. And that's just something we need to come to expect. Don't be surprised when you face trials and troubles just like Paul did. There are some people that think that the Christian life is supposed to just be always wonderful all the time and then you're not going to have any health issues or maybe you didn't have enough faith and you're not going to have any financial issues or maybe you didn't have enough faith and you're not going to have problems with other people in relationships but that's just not how any of this works I was in a church service one time and I heard the pastor say to the people he was trying to win to Christ if you need a new car and you come to Jesus he's going to give you a new car and if you need a new house and you come to Jesus he's going to give you a new house and do you know how much more our attendance would grow in 2024 if I could actually make good on that claim and say that to people? Like that's a, that's a great promise. That's a great claim. It's not true. It's not in the Bible. It's not in God's word. We were having a meeting this week to talk about the sermon and one of the pastors, Kevin, brought up Jeremiah 29, 11. How many of you know Jeremiah 29, 11? It's a very popular verse. You know, it's on bumper stickers and shirts and, and Bible journals and all those things. It's a wonderful verse, very encouraging verse. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. What kind of plans? They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. And I've heard pastors use that verse to preach in a way of basically saying, good times are coming for you. Good times are ahead for you. And you're going to have health and you're going to get over that sickness and you're going to have better finances. And you're going to pay off that car and you're going to have a new house. And I've heard that. But the point that Kevin made was, look at the verse before that. Look at verse 10. This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years. That's the verse that comes right before Jeremiah 29, 11, about all the good plans and the hope and the future stuff. Babylon was a mortal enemy to Israel. Those 70 years were no cakewalk for them. That wasn't a good message to them. The message Jeremiah brought to them from God was to say, bad times are coming, but God still cares about you. Bad times are coming, but there's a future and a hope ahead. There are plans ahead. Yes, it's not going to seem that way for 70 years. It's most of our lives. 70 years, that's, that's a long time to go through the valley before you get to the mountaintop. And you know, the reality is for some of us, we're gonna have a lot of valleys and mountaintops through life. And the Bible doesn't promise that it's all gonna be wonderful all of the time. Now it does say in everything, we're supposed to have joy and we're supposed to trust in God and give thanks at all times. And there are always reasons to be thankful and to bless God and to realize we have blessings from God even in those difficult times in life. But we are going to experience downtimes. We are going to experience trials and troubles. 
And Paul says, you saw me do it. I served with humility through tears and through trials. I had difficult times. And oftentimes that is the Christian life. And I know there are so many trials and troubles in our church right now. I know there are marriages that are struggling. I know there are families that, are, that feel like they're being torn apart right now. I know that there are people who are struggling with, with sicknesses and issues and, and friendship issues that they don't know what to do with and they're struggling with. And we can expect those trials in our life, but we can also expect that we have a God who will stick with us through that and care for us and love us through that. So in the end of all of that, we can look back and say, wow, God, you brought me through all that. Paul almost brags about his trials several times through his letters, not because he went through them, but because God brought him through them. James says this, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. When troubles or trials of any kind come your way, consider an opportunity for joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Listen, it is a false teaching that says, follow Jesus and you won't have any troubles. That's just not truth. The Bible says, follow Jesus and your troubles will help you grow. That is a massive shift in thinking. Follow Jesus and your troubles will help you grow. Paul doesn't complain about his troubles or about his trials, but he's real about them. He's honest about them. And I know many of us are facing big trials right now and troubles right now, and, and you need to stay strong in your faith and cling to what you know to be true. There's a phrase that I'm gonna share with you that maybe some of you need to write down and put on the, the mirror so that you see it every time when you wake up. I don't know how God will use this for good, but I believe that he will. I don't know how God will use this for good, but I believe that he will. And if you maintain that mindset through your troubles and through your trials, it's gonna help you have faith in him. It's gonna help your faith to grow. Following Jesus means our troubles will help us to grow. And Paul was used to trials. He expected trials. He served with humility and even tears through those trials. And you can too. Now that was my introduction. I wanna get to my main message now. And my main message is about the rest of these verses here, verses 20 through 24. So read along with me. Paul says, I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, either publicly or in your homes. I have had one message for Jews and Greeks alike, the necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and of having faith in our Lord Jesus. That's the core of what he's all about. That's the message. That's the reason why he lives and serves the way he does. And now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. Kyle talked about this last week. I don't know what awaits me, except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail, get this, jail and suffering lie ahead. Paul knew that's what was ahead of him. But look at verse 24. This is so amazing. But my life is worth nothing to me. My life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Paul says, my life is worth nothing to me. I will die for this message. My life is meaningless unless I use what, whatever it is I have to do the work assigned to me, to do the work, to do the service to serve the Lord in the way he's assigned me. And that work is telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. And this is a man who knows that he's gonna face jail and suffering and all kinds of abuse. And he knows that likely at some point he is going to give his life 
for the sake of the good news that he is sharing with people. He's gonna lose his life at some point for this and that makes it so much more powerful when he says, just read it again, verse 24, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. And the good news about Jesus is worth dying for. The message of the wonderful grace of God is worth dying for. And if it comes down to it, I hope that if you are presented with an opportunity where someone is threatening your life and saying, I will spare your life if you will renounce your faith in Jesus and turn on him, that you will say, I won't do it because my faith in him is that strong. I hope that you are willing to die for the truth about Jesus, for God's truth, because it is worth dying for. But that's actually not my message for today. That's not my main point today. My main takeaway for today is this. Let me switch to it. The truth of God is not just worth dying for, it's worth living for. The truth of God is not just worth dying for, it's worth living for. And maybe you consider yourself a Christian and you've got some good Bible knowledge in your life and, and you try to live a good Christian life as best you can, you think, you know, yeah, if it came down to it, I would, I would die for Jesus, absolutely. But are you living for him now? It's one thing to die for Jesus. That happens in an instant and that is a big deal. But it is another thing to live for him because that happens every moment. That happens every morning when you wake up. That happens when you go to work. That happens when you go to school. That happens when you interact with your spouse or with your kids or with your friends or your coworkers. When you are presented with a choice and an opportunity to either represent Christ well in that moment or shrink away from that moment, it's one thing to die for Jesus. Are you willing to live for him? Are you willing to make the choices that honor God every day? And no, we don't do it perfectly, and I don't do it perfectly. But if we want to live out the mission that God has for us, if we want to follow in Paul's footsteps and say, my life is worth nothing unless I am using my life to serve God, Unless I'm using my life to serve with humility and with empathy, with tears, through the trials, with faith in God and honoring God in everything I do. Are you willing to die for him? Yes, but are you willing to live for him now? Because that is what Jesus calls us to do. One of our elders told me last week that he has a very consistent schedule at the gym and it's a routine for him. It's it's a major part of his life, an important thing. And he was lamenting that the last couple of weeks, there have been a lot of extra people at the gym. (laughs) And I remember a few years ago taking a tour of a gym that we were looking at and walking through, and it happened to be January at the time. That's not really why we were there necessarily. And it was just packed. And the staff member told us, don't worry, in a month, most of these people will be gone. (laughs) Because it's one thing to know that exercise is good for you. It's another thing to make it a habit and a part of your life. And just knowing that it's good for you isn't actually going to help much. You have to act on it and you have to actually not act on it occasionally. You have to make it a a rhythm and a habit for you and a normal thing that you do. You have to be regularly involved in it. The Christian life is the same way. You can know a lot of good stuff. You can have a lot of good Bible knowledge. You can know a lot of theology. But if you're not living it out and applying it in your life, then you're not actually accomplishing much for the kingdom. And I'm not talking about salvation here. I'm not saying you need to keep doing good to make sure that you earn God's favor or earn salvation. But I am saying that if you are a child of God, God has work for you to do. Are you engaged in that work? Are you serving him? There is going to be a day when that work is going to be evaluated. There's going to be a day when God is going to test what you have done for him, not for your salvation but to evaluate the quality of your work in the kingdom, in this life, in this world, 
daily for him. What is that test gonna look like for you? I'm not making this up. This comes from 1 Corinthians 3. Paul says, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. Anyone who builds on that foundation, so that's our salvation in Jesus Christ, but anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw, but on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, the builder will receive a reward, but if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved like someone barely escaping through the wall of flames. Do you know what that means? That means there will be people in heaven whose life work had almost no value for God's kingdom. How sad is that? How sad is that to stand before God and show everything you did for him in this life and for it to just burn up in flames and be of no eternal value? That's why it's so important not just to die, be willing to die for Jesus, but be willing to live for him. Be willing to build with things that are of eternal value. Invest your time, your talent, and your treasure into things that are of lasting eternal value so that it makes a difference and advances God's kingdom. Here's a thought that may be encouraging or it may be scary. And this is what I want us to think about as we close. If the entire church had the same level of commitment to living out their faith in God as you do, would that be a good thing or a bad thing? Don't answer. This is just in your head. If the entire church, not just here, but around St. Louis, had the same commitment to serving God on a daily basis as you do, would that be a net positive or would it be a problem? If the entire church around the world had the same commitment to using your resources and your money for godly things and being generous as you do, would the kingdom have an abundance of resources available or would it become a shell? of what it was. If the entire church around the world had the same commitment to prayer as you do, would it just be an offering up to God 24-7 of all kinds of prayers, or would it just be the occasional quick shout out before a meal? If the entire church had the same commitment to sharing Jesus with people who do not know about him, the same commitment as you do, would there be new people all the time learning about the life-changing power of Jesus? Or would it be almost never happening? That's a convicting thought. These are convicting thoughts for me. I hope they're convicting for you. And I wanna invite you now, if you would, to just bow your heads and close your eyes with me for a minute, for a moment of reflection here. And maybe this is convicting. Maybe we need that. Maybe we need our toes stepped on today. Maybe we need to realize that, well, we've got some things figured out and we're a child of God and we believe in him and we know we have hope for him, hope in him and, and hope for an eternity with him. Are we really living on a daily basis like Jesus is the difference in my life? Are we really living like his mission matters to me? And I wanna do something with that. And I wanna build something that's gonna last and matter for eternity. God, I pray that you would convict us right now. And I pray that you would do so with a level of specificity that we can't walk out of here without realizing some things that we need to grow in, some things that we need to turn over and surrender to you and say, Lord, I, I give you control over this area of my life as hard as that is to do. I give up preferences and desires and personal wants because I don't want to build with straw or wood or hay anymore. But Lord, show me how to build with things that are going to last for eternity. Show me how to use my time and my talent and my treasure in things that are actually going to be meaningful, that are going to advance your kingdom, that are going to see more people come to know Jesus. 
and grow in their faith with him, Lord. Help me to not be so much about myself, but to truly live for you and live out your mission in this world. God, I know there may be people here today or watched online who do not know you as Savior. They haven't even taken that first step yet, Lord. Please show them now how real you are. Show them how much you love them and care about them. And if they will just confess their sin to you and repent and turn from it and ask for your forgiveness that you'll make them a child of God. They can become part of your family and and enter into this journey of growing to be more like you and living out their faith in you, Lord. Help us all to grow in this, Lord. Help us to grow through our trials. Help us to grow in our empathy for each other. Help us to grow in our service so that we can not just be willing to die for you, but willing to live for you too. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.